What's going on, everybody? This is OG Goblin. Come catch live recordings of Geeks and Goblins every Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over on Goblin Gang Entertainment on YouTube. What's going on, Geeks and Goblins fam? It's your boy, OG Goblin, and your boy, Utopian Revolt, coming at you again with another episode of Geeks and Goblins. Sir, how do you do today? What is up, Goblin Gang? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. I'm uh, loving life. Uh, excited about this show. Uh, how about you, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm just chilling, man. I'm, I've got a lot on my mind. I said it while we were uh, in, in the pre-show. I, I have this thing about like dead carnations. I, I don't know why. I just think they're really, really pretty. Like for all the people that can see in the world. Oh, that focus though. Um, like, like look at this dead carnation, man. It's just super pretty, and they still smell good. I don't know why, but they've been sitting on my desk, and I want more of them. Ah, uh, yeah, no, when I heard you say that, uh, I was uh, a little confused because that came out of context. You were there uh, talking to Danny a little bit, and I'm just like, what the hell is going on? But as you were explaining it, I think I think you've gotten me. Uh, I, I, maybe I need some more dead carnations in my life. That will fulfill me. Maybe. I mean, try new things. Try new things. I think yeah. that's been the message that I've been saying to a lot of people today. Just try new things, you know? Except Morbius. Don't try Morbius, to my understanding. Nah. No, not, not even part of our weekly roundup, but I read that it had a 75% attendance drop from its opening week, <laughs> like, which is absolutely horrendous, actually. From... My question is, like, who went to go watch it in the first place? Like, right? What? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> who were the 75% that dropped? <laughs> Oh, oh my god, that's that's really bad as an opening, but uh, that is uh, neither here nor there. Geeks and Goblins, another week of Geeks and Goblins. It was it's been a relatively slow week for the first time in our history. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely hasn't been as uh, as blockbuster as the other yeah. weeks have. Uh, you know, we were blessed starting off the show when we did because we had four straight bangers of weeks, uh, big news left and right. Uh, so it's going to be a little different of a tone this time around, but uh, we'll make it work, and I think uh, it's going to be some fun times. I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, let's just go ahead and kick it off with our weekly roundup. Sir, would you like to lead us in? Yes, sir. We have actually talked about this specific topic and company a couple times now on Geeks and Goblins. Uh, but Activision Blizzard announces that all U.S.-based QA testers will be converted to full-time employees. They will have access to full benefits, and they will get hourly wages increased to a minimum of 20 an hour, which means they're getting paid more than I am now, which uh, it hurts. But that's really good for them, and that's great uh, that uh, Activision Blizzard has, uh, has done something like this. Look, one of my favorite phrases known to mankind, secure the bag bag bro Let's listen go. they didn't even have to work <laughs> hard to secure the bag they literally just right. had the job that's fantastic though man like quality assurance is super super important uh especially in the video game realm otherwise you end up with you know games like early release cyberpunk like that's super important and it's you know uh something that's not really discussed very often when people discuss you know video game releases so to know that those People, especially over there at Activision Blizzard, to know that they are, you know, being shown a little bit more appreciation by one being full time receiving benefits, uh, as two and three, you know, minimum twenty dollars per hour. Uh, it's making me rethink my uh, current career. 
You know, I think probably the biggest thing that will come from this is uh, you kind of alluded to it. It's having a little bit more stability at that in that department. And it is something that is very crucial, especially for AAA games, especially in the environment that we're in now, where it just feels like games are being uh, made very quickly, uh, sometimes rushed. Uh, the only thing that could really kind of counteract that is a good QA team. So by treating them like human beings that have needs, Facts. Um, I think Activision Blizzard will have a lot more retention in, in that regard. I think so. I think so. Uh, shout out to everyone on that team. Congratulations on your success. And that opens so many more doors for them in the future. Uh, big success. Great success. I, I'm super, super happy for Activision Blizzard. And I hope there's more good things to come for everybody over there. Moving on, a new Tomb Raider game was announced as well as in conjunction with the announcement that Unreal Engine 5 is available for everybody right now. That's Two huge things. I thought the current Tomb Raider franchise, as we had it, was was dead, personally. Yeah, honestly, I thought it was just going to be a trilogy, and I think that's uh, what a lot of people uh, actually had. Now, that actually begs the question, like, whether this is still going to be tied to the, the rise of Lara Croft trilogy, or wh whatever they're calling it. Um, but I hope that this time around we get a an older Lara Croft, so, uh, a Lara Croft that's a much more experienced and has basically just done this for a while, maybe like Uncharted 4 in that way. Um, but it's really cool to uh, hear that it's going to be made on Unreal Engine 5. Uh, that engine looks beautiful. It looks like it's going to uh, be great to use, easy to use. So that can only uh, mean good things for Crystal Dynamics. And uh, hopefully this is a nice little palate cleanser after they worked on Avengers for a couple years. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny that Tomb Raider is one of the bigger announced games uh, with the release of Unreal Engine 5, uh, considering the Unreal Engine 5 demo is so Tomb Raider-esque. So, I mean, like, honestly, if you go back and look at that demo, you kind of say to yourself, like, what is this game going to look like? I mean, graphics shouldn't be everything, but when you, when you have an engine that looks like Unreal Engine 5, how, how can you not be kind of uh, blown away and have these expectations? Uh, to uh, ride off of that as well, some other developers that are currently working on games and Unreal Engine 5, uh, PlayStation VR 2, we're getting some games from there, uh, Xbox, PlayStation as a whole, uh, Idios Montreal, Obsidian, Devolver, and of course, you know, um, we were talking about it um, last week, uh, The Witcher. The new Witcher side right. is being developed on Unreal Engine 5, so a lot of good things to come there. Yeah, I, honestly, after that little taste that we got with that uh, the Matrix experience or experience the Matrix, whatever it was called, um, I, I'm ready for Unreal Engine Five. Forgot and I think about that. That once the the actual first Unreal Engine Five games uh, come out, that is essentially signifying the true beginning of next gen. Agreed. I couldn't agree more. Um, big things to come. Epic Games is just like always killing it, man. Like they they've had a fantastic decade really i mean yeah. like it feels like fortnite unreal engine uh rocket league is one of the most popular uh freaking esports on the planet so i mean like shout out to everybody over there and it's based in north carolina so i mean you know all our locals that are looking for a job go and head over to Cary. uh you really never know what is uh what the future holds uh would you like to lead us into our next topic Yes, sir. Um, you know, to segue with not knowing uh, what the future holds, uh, neither does Ed Ezra Miller or uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers, because uh, Ezra Miller was recently segue. arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
So Ezra Miller was recently arrested, um, and it does seem like all of his Warner Brothers uh, projects have been placed on an indefinite hold. Yep. Who knows whether they're going to get canceled or not, but right now they are on an indefinite hold. Man, I'm hurt by this, because the, the Flash movie that we're getting, uh, supposedly Flashpoint, uh, it's apparently shaping up to be really good. The, the screenings that they've been having after the pushback have been apparently phenomenal. A lot of the leaks, if you follow it, have been really, really interesting as far as a story standpoint. And a lot of people would agree that Ezra Miller as The Flash has been one of the bright spots of the DCEU. So to hear this pushback, man, like, ugh, it, it's, it's really disappointing. And it's just another L um, not too long after their last L for DCE. Yeah, and it might be the first uh, L of this year, uh, the first of many, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but that is something we'll be discussing a little bit later on uh, on this episode. Absolutely. Uh, but it is unfortunate. It Honestly, like that Flash was shaping up to be essentially a reinvention of the DC uh, Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And it... To have this news come out after everything that you just said, all the screenings and leaks, it's it's a little disappointing. Uh, we'll see uh, how everything shapes up, but uh, as of right now, yeah, it's not looking good. Yeah, and even just a little bit more fuel to the fire, uh, not DC related, but Warner Brothers, as far as L's go, um, Secrets of Dumbledore is just not being reviewed very well either, so... Uh, maybe it's time for the strategic team over there at Warner Brothers to maybe start changing some direction. You know, maybe some new fresh blood over there on that creative team is uh, is probably very much needed. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Just all completely overhaul that entire team. Yeah. Uh, just get a new vision for, for the cinematic universe. Agreed, agreed. Moving on to our next topic, Remedy and Rockstar Games announced Max Payne 1 and 2 remakes, not remasters, remakes for PC, PS5, and the Xbox Series X. Uh, I, I gotta admit, I'm only familiar with Max Payne 1. Those games were 100% not allowed in my house uh, as a kid, and unfortunately <laughs> I just have not had the opportunity uh, to return to the franchise, but I had a blast sneaking to play Max Payne 1 over at my friend's place, so I am greatly looking forward to these remakes and revisiting that franchise. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I, I don't really remember much about Max Payne 1 and 2 outside of story, uh, but I do remember when Max Payne 3 came out, and it, it was one of those tentpole Rockstar games yeah. uh, back in the day. And I remember how they incorporated multiplayer on that, how there was still bullet time in a PvP environment. It was, it was really cool. And I'm wondering if they would add a multiplayer element to these old games, but probably not. They're probably going to want to be as uh, faithful as possible. But uh, I, I'm going to be picking this up. Uh, Remedy has shown that they're uh, top quality in terms of uh, making shooters with like Control and Alan Wake, for example. Yep. Uh, so I think their expertise lines up very well with what uh, Max Payne is. I agree. I agree. Um, to your point, I, I hope they do bring multiplayer back. When uh, when we get into these this remake territory, right? I feel it's so important um, if you're attempting to capture the essence of something that you you know you feel moved to remake. I feel like it's really important to capture all of that, you know. And um, I think we've seen in other games where uh, they get brought back and they don't have the multiplayer element or uh, continuations of popular franchises, and they remove the multiplayer element, and it's just really upsetting for the fans. Uh, I'm sure uh, Max Payne fans would be 
very upset about that. So I'm hoping they uh, stick true to what a remake should be um, when we get that new game. Ubisoft, uh, remake Assassin's Creed and bring back multiplayer now. Oh my god. I uh, <laughs> I thought I was like why are you hiding for a second? I was like <laughs> Yes, I couldn't agree more. Please bring back Assassin's Creed multiplayer. I I I don't even need a remake of the game. I just give me the multiplayer and I'll be fine. Like <laughs> right. That's all I need, man. <laughs> and if anybody out there in the world wants to just, you know, make a game that just so happens to play exactly like Assassin's Creed multiplayer. I have no attachment to those multiplayer characters, all right? Just give me the freaking gameplay. Hey, and better yet, bring the idea to us. We'll help you make it. Geeks and Goblin Studios, baby. There we go. I think every episode we've had a good pitch and shown that we should probably be, you know, leaders of American business. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I think we should really get the ball rolling. I'm going to need y'all to start clipping this stuff and sending it out, all right? Like, I need y'all to do the work. We're trying to get everybody the stuff they love. So, so move it along. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, would you like to um, close out our uh, weekly roundup, sir? Speaking about uh, giving everybody uh, what they love and uh, need, uh, Marvel has uh, paid Chavez, uh, America Chavez co-creator, nothing for her appearance in uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Um, oh. That's like the complete opposite of the way we started this weekly roundup, and it's, it's unfortunate to see situations like this. It is, and it's so widespread in the like comic book comic book verse, right? You've got a lot of creators of very popular characters, um, America Chavez. Uh, I'm sure even the creators of Moon Knight, to some degree, have had so much impact in the last decade with the MCU with these characters that are now household names, mind you, like synonymous with. So, like, Mickey Mouse, like, we're talking Superman, like, these, Iron Man is synonymous with Superman, that's kind of wild, but we, we have these people that have put their, you know, their hard work, their blood, sweat, and tears, and their love for this craft into these characters, and they're just, they're not getting paid for it, and it's not the first time, and unfortunately, it's not going to be the last time. Yeah, you're right, it, it won't be the last time, but that shit needs to stop now. It's it's not cool, and you're just going to be alienating talent. Well, you know, I say that, but in reality, uh, Marvel and Disney, they have such a grip on the industry that they really won't be hurting for talent no matter what happens. So that's why they're able to get away with things. Um, but, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can see uh, Hollywood go on strike for stuff like this. It's only going to get worse here, from here on out with the content wars brewing the way that they are. Uh, so, yeah, it needs to stop. It won't stop. But uh, hopefully something happens. Yeah, I, I would like to think that maybe on the back end somewhere they work out some type of royalty deal where maybe, you know, a, even a small percentage of what the MCU pulls in or the DCEU for that matter, for whatever it is, like even a small percentage is something, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's just it's disheartening as a creator. Um, but I mean, another sad reality of that is Marvel and DC do own these characters. Uh it is something that was given away when they co-created these characters. So um, I definitely don't want to sit here and say, you know, on the back end, they should have had some foresight and figured something out as far as continued royalties. But um, definitely I would love to see that these houses, you know, you know, play a little nice and distribute some food so that everybody can eat. Right. Completely it, agree with that. 
I don't know. And and, uh, and that's our weekly roundup, man. Uh, lot, uh, Not a whole lot this week that was, you know, eligible really for the weekly roundup. We do our little draft, try to figure out what we want to give to the people. But I, <laughs> hey, I, I, I do want to say, I appreciate you bringing back the, the Secrets of Dumbledore the way that you did. You just slid <laughs> that right in. And uh, that's a massive respect to you, the way you did that. <laughs> hey, look, man, someone's, someone's got to remember Dumbledore. Someone's got to remember the franchise, man. <laughs> It's true. We do what we can. We do what we can. Moving on to our one of our main topics for the night, summer games conferences and uh, the kind of mess that it will be for uh, 2022. Uh, this is your topic that you put on the board, sir. Why don't you uh, lay a little bit of that foundation for the people? Right, right. So we have a couple of uh, cons or showcases that have already been announced to be happening around uh, the beginning of June, mid-June, around the time where E3 usually happens. Uh, so we have the PC Gaming Show. It is going to be returning on June 12th. Um, we have Xbox uh, reportedly holding an E3-style showcase of its own in June as well. No specific date yet there. And uh, THQ Nordic plans a summer game showcase uh, for August. So that's uh, going to be way past when E3 usually happens, a little bit closer to Gamescom. But uh, it does seem like THQ Nordic has their own thing planned as well. Uh, it, it's interesting. I uh, I remember that... Oh, pardon me. My eye had a thing. Um, I remember that first year that um, uh, E3 was, you know, pretty much gone after... Uh, you know, COVID, I remember that first year where everybody was saying, you know, they were going to do their own thing. And uh, not everybody's was exciting, which I uh, I don't think it you, you could expect it to be, you know? I, I don't think you could expect literally everything to be exciting. Um, so, I got, I'm, I'm not exactly excited for the prospect of, like, a THQ Nordic uh, doing their own kind of, like, summer game showcase kind of thing. Uh, I can't remember the last THQ game that I was... Um, ever like really moved by but i i it what's interesting to me here is um xbox reportedly holding their own e3 style showcase uh, i don't know what that would even look like i i have historically been uh a, a, a clowner of the xbox catalog uh i've historically made fun of the fact that if um as i like to put it if microsoft released a super smash brothers it would literally be 20 variant colors of master chief fighting uh one <laughs> Marcus Phoenix. And, uh, yeah, that's really what it would be. I'm sorry. So, things have changed a little bit in recent years, but I I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I think everyone should pretty much just stick to uh, Jeff Keighley and let him handle the business. Right. Uh, I do want to touch on uh, what you mentioned about THU Nordic. Um, the, the interesting thing about THQ Nordic is that it does seem like they're becoming one of the bigger publishers out there. They keep making acquisitions by the freaking day, it feels like. Uh, they own franchises like Destroy All Humans. Yep. Uh, they also own franchises like Darksiders. And they've gotten more and more. They are uh, they own the license to Time Splitters, Kingdoms of Amalur. Uh, some of these are freaking bangers. Uh so it's really it's going to be really interesting to see what they end up doing for uh, for their showcase and whether there's going to be any big names there or whether it's going to be more licensed stuff like uh, Nintendo Go Kart Two or Nintendo Fighter Number Two. Um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see about that. Uh, I think that Xbox is definitely going to have a lot of the juicy bits that we usually um, see in E3. Um, I don't know. I think we're going to be getting some Starfield uh, gameplay. 
Oh, we I better. Think we might be seeing a little bit more uh, information uh, about The Elder Scrolls Six. That's been hyped up for uh, a decade now. Uh, so you'd hope that we get more information. Who knows? Um, probably like more Elder Scrolls Online expansion information. Uh, maybe some Fallout seventy six. Um, but I don't know. I think we are going to be getting a really good show from Xbox this year, and I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, to see some bangers being announced, like some uh, world premieres. That's something that they love to fly in their in their showcases. Oh my God! I I can I I hear that world premiere sound in my sleep some nights. World premiere, <laughs> uh, like uh, Xbox exclusive. Like they pay they pay they probably don't pay that man enough to be honest, because he he haunts my dreams. Everything is an <laughs> Xbox premiere. Everything is a world exclusive. Uh, shout out to him though. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I I hope Xbox has stuff to show. They've made they've they've done so many acquisitions that it's kind of hard not to to imagine. Like we maybe not maybe not this year, but uh, maybe next year. You know, to imagine we'll have an Xbox showcase where. Strictly at their stage, they will be showing off Halo, um, maybe Halo, uh, Halo, Call of Duty, uh, Fallout. <laughs> um, I, I could go on with based off their acquisitions recently, but I mean, like that would be an insane show. But it does leave it does beg the question, you know, uh, what would Nintendo or Sony be doing during all of this if there is no E3? And I got to tell you, just one by one, right? I got to tell you. Nintendo, they're, they're going to do their little treehouse or their Nintendo Direct. Um, my issue with that is they've never really been exciting. They've kind of just existed. So, uh, for me anyway, it's it's their style of presentation for me. It's, it's very Nintendo, their style of presentation. So they don't really bring a lot of uh, oomph and pizzazz when they're yeah. doing their uh, digital showcases. Uh, now, in the case of Sony... Uh, I gotta be honest. I just don't think they're gonna be around uh, for these showcases. Um, I disagree on that last point. Okay. I think uh, we're gonna be getting a state of play. Um, it's gonna be a much grander. No, what was it that they? Okay, so right before the PS5 came out, um, like in, during that summer, they had a games showcase, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like that. Um, we still have a. a bunch of properties that we need some updates on uh, like spider-man 2 true like god of war ragnarok true maybe some wolverine uh maybe a horizon forbidden west dlc announcement um there's a lot that they can do and i think because of that it, they're almost destined to have one of these big showcases um as for nintendo um i think all they really need to do is show off more breath of the wild 2 gameplay and show off Metroid Prime, um, huh. maybe the remaster or maybe the fourth game. A pipe and dream. That a right, pipe dream. I agree with. That. <laughs> I agree with that. But if if they do those two things, they will be owning the internet for the next couple months. That's valid. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I uh, I don't. I just don't know. Um, <laughs> Nintendo's presentations are just always so awkward, man. Like it. Yeah. It, I. I I don't know. I, I, I could go on about Nintendo. I feel like that's potentially for a whole separate conversation, but like Sony in general, <laughs> like I I think the interesting thing that they've been doing is that they pretty much kind of just do their their own state of place throughout the year, which is why I, I would be fearful for a big summer showcase from them. 
Because I feel like before we got to June or July, they would have already previewed Spider-Man to us. They would have already previewed some DLC to us uh, during another state of play. You can see that. Um, but I think that this is going to be a really big year for them, um, especially with the new PS Plus tier system. Um, that actually brings me to a next point. Uh, I think that we will be seeing kind of a mirror showcase uh, from Xbox and PlayStation. I think every single game showed off in the Xbox showcase will be available on Game Pass day, day one. Okay. And subsequently, I don't think every game, but I think we will be seeing a lot of games announced uh, at the PlayStation Showcase that will be on PS Plus day one. Hmm. Really? Day one? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, Third-party games, not first Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, I, I definitely want your rationale behind that. Because um, it seems like something they're really trying to avoid doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think for their first-party games, those are too high profile that honestly fiscally it doesn't really make a lot of sense to give them up day one um i think if anything follow a netflix or a disney plus format where after like maybe half a year those games get put into the vault mm-hmm. um i just i don't know i i do think that they are going to be competing in the third party arena for day one exclusivity on uh, on ps plus you know, I it begs the question, why, why are they so afraid of doing day one releases? You know, like, day one, fully accessible on PlayStation Plus. Uh, I, I imagine, well, obviously, because they're doing it, Microsoft does not fear that. They, they are so confident in their titles and their console and in their platform that they say, you know, hey, you know, let's just give it to the people day one. I mean, it breeds, you know, the need to continue to do it, right? And I, I know very few people that beat a game in a day. So to be able to, you know, say like, hey, yeah, you can get this day one, but we're also going to need to collect that payment at the end of the month. So that way you can, you know, you can keep playing that game. Uh, That's, you know, that's obviously part of their model. And uh, this isn't necessarily part of that, but uh, part of this particular conversation. But I do think uh, it's important to uh, talk about uh, just talking even about the day one stuff. Uh, Reportedly, uh, Microsoft's Game Pass it does not pull as many subscribers as the PlayStation Plus subscription as it stands right now. I found that to be really interesting because, admittedly, Game Pass Ultimate is just such a good draw. I agree. I agree. But I think at the end of the day, the reason why uh, Sony will not be doing day one first party games and the reason Xbox does is because Xbox, frankly, is still trying to grow their reputation for their own games, for their own studios. That's fair. Whereas PlayStation already has that reputation. PlayStation games are consistently in the top 10 of the MBD reports. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me. Knowing Microsoft being a corporation and knowing their past, while it may not be indicative of their future, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years after they start establishing their own studios as a high quality um, publisher, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they stop doing day one releases on Game Pass Ultimate for first party games. Oh, I I don't know. Uh, I I gotta be honest. As a Game Pass Ultimate user for quite some time now, if they were to ever remove the day ones, I my subscription ends. It's such a draw right. for me. It is such a draw for me to know that I don't have to spend sixty dollars to see if I like this game. And I agree. And I think about the impact of that, right? Especially given their current acquisitions. 
now we're oh my gosh i'm sorry my eyes are really itchy tonight folks jesus um i think that's super important following these acquisitions because you know before we were talking about your typical xbox exclusives you know your halo your forza your gears your stuff like that but now especially in this realm that we live in where we get a call of duty every year uh maybe not next year but down the line now we live in a world that says you know hey i can pay x amount dollars a month for this subscription that i'm already paying for or i can game or i can trial it and see if i like the new call of duty that alone is going to get people in the door. You mean to tell me I don't have to spend $60 on a Call of Duty that I'm inevitably going to hate and I can just try it out the day it comes out? Come on, man. Like, there's no way they can remove that and expect their numbers, which are already apparently lower than the competitions, to either stay the same or grow. At the end of the day, I, I think you're right. Uh, it may never come to that. It may just be a simple change that they could increase the price of Game Pass Ultimate or add like an entire tier system the, the way the PS Plus did. But uh, fundamentally, Sony and Microsoft are not necessarily competing with each other anymore because they have different prerogatives, right? Microsoft is trying to build an entire ecosystem where no matter if you go on your phone, on your PC, or if you own an Xbox, you're playing their games. You're playing Xbox games. Whereas Sony, they still rely on exclusives to sell their console, their PS5. And I, I think ultimately that is why Sony isn't going to be doing day one uh, releases on uh, PS Plus. Uh, that being said, they could put, uh, uh, like, they did announce that they're going to have extended game trials. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see, like, a free two or three hour trial of brand new first party games on that first day. Um, that would be a pretty good tactic for the reasons that you just mentioned with Call of Duty as an example. Just getting people to try out these amazing freaking games, then fall in love, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the trial, it says, we hope you enjoyed this little taste of God of War Ragnarok with your PS Plus uh, subscription. You get a discount on purchasing the game. Do you want to buy now? I think that'd be very effective. I agree. I agree. Uh, whether or not they do it, though, is, is up in the air. Yeah. It just seems like it just seems like first party and especially day one. Uh, I maybe the extended game trials, but it for me it just seems like it's something that Sony's not thinking of. Uh, I can also say that I, I don't really see anything big coming this summer that we don't already know about. it. For me, E3 was always that way, right? So the first, I don't want to say the first E3, um, but, you know, uh, E3 always was kind of, like, big for me in every other year. You know, I of course I loved E3, and regardless of whether or not I thought it was going to be a big year or not, I always sat down and, you know, watched E3. Um, but I will say, I always found there was always an off year that was kind of in the middle that always made me say, like, ah, this one wasn't, like, my favorite. But then the next year, it's like, whoa, like, you, how do you open this up with a God of War orchestra? Right. Like, what are you doing, guys? Like, I got to admit, I, I, I'm not sure this year is going to be super, super fantastic. I don't, I, I don't see anything big coming out or being announced right now. This is going to be our first full, I don't want to say COVID-19 free, but I want to say first normal year in a while. And I think we're going to start seeing kind of like throughout these last two years, we've had all these different publishers and developers delay their games over and over and over again, mainly due to the pandemic. And 
now since things are starting to normalize a little bit, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the fruition of all that this summer. I, I think I'm actually the complete opposite way. I think we are going to be getting more surprises than we have had in a very long time. Hmm. To counter that, um, so uh, I, I was talking to one of our coworkers about this. Actually, um, I was super excited for all of COVID uh, for music. Right? I was super excited. Like, oh man, my favorite artists are stuck in the house. They don't have to worry about touring. There's nothing to do. Like, but sit back, make some dope music. Right? So, you know, we get we get through COVID, we get through lockdowns, we get through all that, and we get here, and man, every album that I've got, Sleeper, Flatbush Zombies, Sleeper, Beast Coast, Sleeper, all of them, Sleepers. Vince Staples just launched a new album. I'm not sure if you know who that is, but Vince Staples just had a new album, Sleeper. All of them bad. <laughs> I'm getting the same vibe from gaming right now. I'm sorry. I, I don't think anything that was, like, super worked on during the pandemic, during this lockdown period, we may get some announcements, but I don't think any of them are going to move me, and that's my devil's advocate for the day. For anyone that's been <laughs> keeping track of each episode. My devil's advocate of the day. I'm not saying they've been lazy. I just think they might not give me anything I care about. So if Square Enix comes around and shows off not only Final Fantasy 16, but mm -hmm. also Final Fantasy 7 Remake Part 2, that doesn't do anything for you? Oh, no, that would move me. That would move me. But we okay. know those things are coming. You know what I mean? Like, I need That's new true. blood. I need some new IPs. I feel like... The same thing that's been happening with movies for the last couple of years, we've been getting with games the exact same way. Sequels, remakes, and remasters. I have... Oh my god. I I could not stand the last, like, two or three years prior to, uh, to COVID, really. It seemed like everything we were getting was a remake or a remaster. And of course it's always good to see something that makes you say, Oh shit, like... That was my game. Like I wanna I wanna pick that up again. Like HD quality, 4K textures, like of course. But man, like it just seemed like for a while, just like people say about Hollywood, they were running out of ideas. So I'm hopeful again that, you know, they decided, you know, to give me some new games coming up this next two years. But I'm just saying, I, I I'm I'm I just don't see it happening. Not not to uh, dawdle on this topic for uh, for much longer, but to play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. Please. Um, in the past two or three years, some of the most hyped, anticipated, wanted games have been new IPs. Agreed. Like Cyberpunk 2077, yep. like Elden Ring. Yep. So, I don't know. I think I think you bring up some interesting points. Um, it seems like we're uh, we're at a, what's the what's the we're at an a impasse. cross here. An, we're at an a impasse. cross here. <laughs> and we're at an impasse, and uh, I think the only way to really find out is uh, this summer, right here on Geese and Goblins. Oh, I can't wait to host those shows. Oh, I cannot yeah. wait to host those shows. Let me get the dates so that I can put them in right now. <laughs> PTO be damned. I don't even have it. <laughs> oh, June's going to be a hell of a month. August is going to be a hell oh, yeah. of a month. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm excited about it. <laughs> I, I, I personally don't really... It, I, and you know the best thing about it is, though? The, the, let, let's talk about the actual best thing about it. Because it, I was reading your little note here at the very bottom of this. Um, I'm going to read it for the, for the crowd. 
Uh, positives and negatives of summer gaming news being split up into different events. I don't think there are any negatives. It's gaming, man. Like I yeah. that that's my that's that's my backpedal from the hot take. I don't think there's really <laughs> any negative news. You know, every type of gamer. I I I I'm peeking at the chat. Like I I can't see what everybody is saying in full detail, but I see the names that are in here. I know. I know AJ Darkfire is going to see something he's excited about. I know Azu is going to be excited about something she's going to see about. I know some. I know you're going to be excited. Like there's going to be something for everybody. Forgive my focus there. My finger uh, took the focus. But um, like some, there's there's going to be something for everybody. There's even going to be something for me, the uh, pessimist of gaming. So you know, I um, that's that's my hot take on the whole event. I think regardless, I think this summer is going to give somebody something that they're going to love. The, the one negative for me, the one and only negative for me is something that you and I had have discussed in the past. There's no feeling... The, E3 used to be the Super Bowl of video games. True. You know what I'm saying? It's all true. eyes on E3. And with all these different events being spread out and being hosted by their own publishers and developers, it, it does kind of like spread that focus out a little bit. You don't have the same like Christmas and summer type of feeling. Yeah. Uh, but I agree with you. We are going to be seeing a lot of different types of games. And I, I think that everyone in the Goblin Gang is going to have something to be excited about. I agree. I agree. Um, I lied, by the way. I think that if there is going to be a single negative... Uh, it'll be if they announce some type of Morbius tie-in game to uh, potentially bring back the video game movie tie-ins. I think that is truly the only negative that we could get uh, from summer gaming news. Um, but that's a perfect segue into the uh, uh, next topic uh, where Morbius does not live. He does not exist in the DC uh, universe, thank God. Um I, I saw, I'm sorry, I saw something in the chat that I just have to point out. Lego Morbius. Um, I'm here for it. Give me Lego Jared Leto. That's, that's, yeah. that's what the family wants. That's, that's what the family wants. Oh, Moving God. on to our next topic. DC films, man. Uh, we've, we've talked, actually, as much as I love Marvel in, in their own right, uh, we have honestly almost talked more about DC films uh, on this stream uh, these last couple of weeks more than we've talked about Marvel, and the unfortunate thing about that is it's not in a good way. <laughs> it's not in a good way at all, man. Uh, DC, what started the year off really good, especially leaving mm -hmm. 2021. We we got some, uh, we got that little film reel where they we finally got some footage of uh, Aquaman, uh, The Lost Kingdom, I think it's called, uh, which uh, is, is still not going to be for me for, what, for personal reasons. Uh, if you know, you know. Um, if... Uh, we we got some finally some footage from Black Adam led by The Rock, which looks absolutely astounding. We got more footage of the Flash, um, and of course, you know, in between then and now, we got the release of the Batman, which was phenomenal and will probably set a whole new standard for um, superhero films going forward as art pieces. Uh, but right after the release of the Batman, man, we got they just started taking L's left and right. Their entire film slate pushed back. Whatever is going on with Ezra Miller, it, it's unfortunate, and it really does beg the question, where is the DC film franchise, the DCEU going? And I really don't know. Honestly, man, it feels like the entirety of that, uh, the, that production company, it seems like they've had no real vision in the last couple of years. Uh, 
it just feels like they've been focus grouped almost to death. Um, the Batman has been it was fantastic. It's uh, I I think I could safely say it's the Geeks and Goblins uh, movie of the year so far. So far, yeah. Um, but I I don't know where they're gonna go, man. I just I think right now we've had kind of like two different versions of the DC uh, studios, right? We've had the Joker. We've had the Batman. On the other hand, we've had Batman versus freaking Superman. We've had the the original Suicide Squad. It, it feels like there seems like such a dramatic difference between each movie in terms of quality and in terms of marketing, in terms of just overall production. It, it feels like there's... It seems to... How can I articulate this in a, in a sensible way? It feels like there's a civil war inside of that company. Like, there's no clear direction. I agree. Um, I, I think it's important when you discuss it to kind of go back to the beginning. Um, um, all the way back to Adam West. Uh, no. Um, all the way, really, to uh, Man of Steel being our first real DCEU film. And you've got to really ask the question... What did they do wrong that the MCU did right? And the MCU had a lot going for it. Uh, I, I think, you know, that being our next topic of conversation, we can flesh that out a little bit more as well. But I think the, they didn't want to follow the formula, which is fair. You know, you want to stand out. If you follow the formula, you're just, you know, the MCU with different characters. But I think the biggest part of that formula that they missed was taking their time. They wanted to bring together the Justice League so fast. And I get it, you know, Avengers is right around the corner. You want to have a blockbuster film that's going to sit right next to Avengers. When people go to the theater, they're going to walk out of Avengers and go into Justice League. Same situation for anything else they released. I get it. I understand. And uh, just actually to give a little bit more context, um, Batman vs. Superman really came out... Um, around that Civil War time. So that was really more the reference there. But uh, they didn't take their time. They decided to rush everything. And I think for what they had, I think they had a good idea in getting Zack Snyder to be kind of the uh, brainchild of the DCEU, as Kevin Feige is the brainchild of the MCU. I, I think that was going in the right direction, but... Studio interference is crazy, man. Like, if, yeah. if you follow any movie that is super delayed, or as a matter of fact, a perfect example, um, fan the Fantastic Four movie that came out, the last Fantastic Four movie, bleeds studio interference. And I really think that's one of the other big issues that the DC film franchise has run into. WB just wanting to take the reins. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that aspect of it because at the end of the day, uh, Marvel is owned by Disney and Disney knows how to make great movies that uh, impact uh, no matter what age you are, uh, whatever whatever group you identify with. Um, whereas Warner Brothers, uh, they've been kind of being shuffled all over the place. Yep. They're owned by at now, but news came out a couple of days ago that... Uh, HBO Max, Warner Brothers, DC, all this is going to be transitioned into the Discovery umbrella. So now Discovery is basically merging with Warner Media. Wow. And it just, there's so many moving pieces on the top side of the business side of things that it, it, 
I think that does kind of like add to the rushing, the rush feelings of the movie, and kind of like the disconnect between the quality of one movie compared to the movie that follows it. And uh, at the end of the day, also the writing, it just feels the DC movies for the most part, not all of them, of course, but the writing has been very bland. It's been very serious. It's been strictly focused on being a comic book movie instead of a human movie, if that makes sense, to tug at our heartstrings and that type of stuff. I agree. Um, I it, It's so funny you bring that up, man. I... um. Something that the it's it's just so hard to actually even like talk about the two without you know it's so hard to talk about one without talking about the other especially when you're leading with DC um, the the biggest thing the MCU had going for them and mind you this was before Disney was even a major factor uh, in my opinion they made their own studio they said look damn it we are going to make our movies we are going to make our own movies like. Everybody else be damned. We right. know the vision we have. We've had so many stinkers in the past with Fox and their Fantastic Four franchise and the later Spider-Man films. Um, and even to some extent, the X-Men films. None of them have been uh, an untarnished franchise, even all the way to Blade. Marvel said, you know what? Let, we're going to do our own damn thing. And th that has been their biggest blessing. They understand their characters. They don't have to worry about a board of directors saying like, oh, maybe we should let, maybe we should have Tony Stark floss while he's talking to Pepper Potts. They don't have to worry about any of that. Oh, maybe, well, yeah, I was actually going to say maybe we don't need to have Thor playing Fortnite, but it, I literally forgot they had Thor playing Fortnite for a minute. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they don't have to suffer from that where, you know, DC has Warner Brothers sitting over their shoulder like having these conversations saying like this is what needs to be done like you guys need to do this this is where we're going to appeal to don't tell these stories xyz yada 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 it's it, it's something that they're always going to suffer from except in their animated division apparently because dc animated oh, yeah. films are just astounding mm -hmm. absolutely um, astounding that's that's probably like their one saving grace in terms of films right yeah, yeah, it's their only saving grace, short of, like, their art house films, which, you know, sitting here having this conversation, it actually sparked something in my mind. Maybe, maybe DC movies do just work better as art pieces. You know, their most successful pieces have been the Batman and the Joker. Like, maybe that's saying something. Right, right, I agree, and... Uh, yeah, honestly, like those have been the best two DC movies within the last what two decades, yeah. uh, maybe even more than that. Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy to think about, and maybe they should just be in charge of creating their own cinematic universe. Fuck whatever the DCU was. I mean, that shit was dead from the very beginning, anyways. Might as well, you know, move on from that. Agreed. Agreed. I am um, especially if what well what's that what's the one. Um... The, the Dark Knight franchise. Honestly, the Dark Knight franchise serves as an art piece as well. The way uh, Chris, the way Christopher Nolan is as a director and as a filmmaker, I think there's stuff to be said there. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, how familiar are you with just like your core Justice League members, your your core team there? I would say like uh, I'm borderline like 
casual, maybe teetering on novice. Okay, okay. Uh, but you know, more or less, you know, you know the the Trinity. You got Wonder Woman, you've got Batman, you've got Superman, and then you know, depending on your iteration, you have your Cyborg, your Flash, um, your Martian Manhunter, your Aquaman, right? Mm-hmm. Think just while I'm speaking. Give yourself like thirty seconds in your head while I'm speaking. Just think about it. Do you really think that this combination of characters, um, Superman, flawless, essentially a god, Batman, uh, peak human, world's greatest detective, Wonder Woman, uh, peak human as well, superhuman, can fly, has her whole thing going on, The Flash, fastest man on the planet, fastest man, fastest man honestly in comic books, Cyborg, ultimate techno, ultimate technopath, can interface with any technology, Aquaman uh, talks to fish. Do you really think that that group works well in a live action setting? Let's have the honest conversation. Do you really think that this core group of people work together in a way that we can translate to the audience and work well together? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it, it could work well in a way that it'd be very entertaining to watch given the right writers and given the right story. Um, I mean, the w- the way you laid that out, you can kind of make the same case with Marvel, right? This one daredevil rich kid, uh, this one very do-gooder, uh, you know, super soldier, um, this freaking god from North mythology, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? It, superheroes are fucking weird, and that's just the truth of it. They're going to be very different uh, from one superhero to another. And I think given the the right writer, they would be able to make the Justice League work. And I will say, uh, Justice League, the that Zack Snyder Justice League movie, um, it did have a lot of good bits inside of it. Was it a good movie? I don't think so. But I think it did have good bits. And one of my favorite bits was the chemistry between all the different heroes. Um, it wasn't perfect throughout the entire movie, of course, uh, but, you know... Given the right writer, like I said, it it, it can be done. Okay, um, I I will have to. I'm going to disagree, not for the sake of disagreeing, like I always do, but I'm going to disagree. Um, my issue with the DC pantheon, more or less, oh, almost ended the stream with a button press. Um, <laughs> my issue with the DC collective um, has been. I see you're acting on that hydrate. Since you're acting on it, I'll just address the situation at hand. Um, uh, as of, since you want us to hydrate, can you get me some water, please? <laughs> um, you press the button, and at the end of the day, it's my fault for not turning off the channel redemptions. Enjoy them while you can, people. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll take Starbucks instead. Ooh, that dragon fruit refresher. Uh, <laughs> like I was saying, I, my biggest issue with the DC film... Um, crew as far as like the Justice League they're just entirely unrelatable to me I'm sorry they're entirely unrelatable to me and I think that's another big success point for the MCU right these are flawed people Iron Man genius has everything he wants raging alcoholic Uh, Thor has humility had well had humility problems you know he was not he did not know how to humble himself and then you know you can go down from there I think Honestly, the, well, actually, no, for Thor being the god that he is in the comics and the movies, he's actually an alien, but um, Thor being the god, 
you know, the one you would expect to not have these problems has problems. He don't know how to chill. He don't know how to just be a dude. Um, right. Now we flip, flip over to DC. I think really the only character, especially in the DCEU, that they've, you know, hinted at having like regular dude problems is freaking Cyborg. Because he don't want to be a cyborg. <laughs> like He sees himself yeah. as a monster. And, you know, that, you know, has its own implications when we start talking about, you know, um, you know, what, you know, the growth of a lot of African-American uh, characters. And, you know, that can even segue into Miss Marvel. But otherwise, we're just looking at gods that don't really go through any problems besides the fact that they're constantly having to fight other gods. Superman is Superman. And, you know, his biggest thing to get over was the fact that he had powers um batman clearly you know we all know batman's problem by now if you don't know batman's problem by now you've you you have not been paying attention uh wonder woman is is wonder woman and flash is married like that that is these these are characters that in my opinion you know if we are supposed to go to the movies and sit down and watch something and feel like we can relate to these characters. I just think that there are a lot of misses there that make them unrelatable. And I, I've always felt that way. I felt that way before they were films. I felt that way when they were comics. That's where I think having the correct writer can help humanize a lot of these guides, like you mentioned. Agreed. Um, I think... You know, we have seen that in the past with certain movies. I remember the the classic old school uh, Superman movies. I forget who, uh, what the actor's name is. Uh, Christopher Reeves. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, they did have moments where he was very much humanized, you know? Fair. And I, I just think it all comes down to the writer at the end of the day. Uh, the Any writer can take enough creative liberties with these characters to make them interesting, to make them re relatable. I agree. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's most things, right? It comes down to the writers as well. Um, it, at the end of the day, it always comes down to the writers. You either write a very good film or you write a very, very bad film. You know how to characterize these people or you don't. And I think right. that's, for me, that's been one of the major things that's been missing from the DCU. Like, just making these characters feel like they're relatable and making their struggle something that you can actually understand. I... I, I, I tell people all the time, the, the Dark Knight franchise, and yes, I am saying this out loud so that the world can judge me and hate me, I do not like the Dark Knight franchise, I do not like the Christopher Nolan Batman franchise, But I'm and I'm going to use it as an example to still explain how I feel about the DCEU. Christopher Nolan has a no understanding of who Bruce Wayne is and what Gotham was. Or what Gotham is. And I, I, I stick by that. There are so many things done wrong with the character. There are so many things done wrong with the characterization of the world that he inhabits. And I think a lot of that transitioned over into the DCU and let the people over at WB say, run wild, do whatever you want. And it ended up giving us the second film Batman that ran around and essentially killed people. Uh, that's not his character. That's not who he is. Superman would have never broken Zod's neck. Literally, Superman's whole shtick is he will find a way. Hope is his shtick. Where Batman's shtick is my parents are dead and I have problems. Superman's shtick is I 
live to give hope to people. And I will do everything, everything, and not do what he did in Man of Steel. Even some characteristics of Wonder Woman and Flash were off. I just think there's an inherent misunderstanding of the characters, man. Like, I understand the idea that you're supposed to give some flaws, but I feel like it's a little too far off. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think, ultimately, uh, the misunderstanding of the characters is the downfall of this current rendition of the DCEU. And uh, subsequently, it's also, or sorry, inversely, it's also the reason why you and I also really loved the Batman from this year. It spoke very much to Bruce Wayne as a character, to Batman as a character, and also as to Gotham as a character. It did everything justice. And... Yep. Uh, Pardon the pun, um, <laughs> but <laughs> you you don't see that same level of detail and care and love uh, being given to any other character. Like, when's the last time we've had a uh, a good Superman movie? I'm sorry to the people who like Man of Steel, but I thought it wasn't good. I thought it was boring, and it's just I don't know, man. It, I think it's like you said. There's no. I think it's a little bit of everything we've said, you know. There's no concise writing, uh, the lack of direction coming from the top of these studios. Um, everything is just kind of like up in the air. And I think we're going to be seeing this for the next couple of years, uh, unfortunately. We're going to be getting fucking amazing DC movies that are standalone. And then these uh, cinematic universe movies are going to be middling or maybe decent or good, depending on what it is. But there's going to be a lot more uh, eggs to be laid. I agree. I do agree. Um, I, I'm hoping for good things. I cannot stress enough that I am hopeful for Black Adam. I, I can't stress enough that I am hopeful for The Flash, uh, especially everything we know about it. I, I can't stress that I'm hopeful for, you know, Aquaman. I'm still not watching, but like I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it these things start to turn the tide and we see it even in other little things like peacemaker i haven't watched it but the reception for peacemaker has been mm -hmm. absolutely phenomenal and they had somebody yeah. good at the helm for that um so cheers to them for that and i really do hope that we see growth in the dceu um and not to harp on it too much um moving before we move on to our next topic uh i i hope that I don't know, maybe some freak accident happens and WB says, you know what, this DC thing, we're losing money. Cut it. And they, you know, they, they have enough money in their pocket to either make their own studio or get bought by Disney. And because <laughs> I, I really think if those, if these three upcoming movies don't work out, the only thing that will save them is a little bit of Mickey money. Just saying. Oh, man. You're gonna you're gonna give me a heart attack uh, by the end of uh, our production of Geeks and Goblins. You know how everyone I feel about is gonna Monopoly. be owned by Disney. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know, man. Like we'll have to wait and see. Having their own studio would be great. Um, maybe going to some other uh, you know production company that is not Disney would also be fantastic. Uh, but no more freaking monopolies. Thank you very much. Um, I'm sorry. Speaking of speaking of monopolies, though, uh, <laughs> Disney has uh, monopolized our attention in terms of uh, superhero movies and uh, TV shows. So I, I think it's uh, time to start uh, talking about state of the MCU as I awkwardly try to end th this very weird segue. <laughs> it's fine. If it were perfect, it, it wouldn't be enjoyable. People want to come back for the awkward. 
right, right. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to do you want to start us off with uh, the state of the MCU? What is the state of the MCU, really? I guess is the question. Uh, we're in we're in a weird turning point, I guess you could say, right? Um, we we're right. we're off the back of um, we're off the back of No Way Home. Honestly, let's 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 run it back a little bit. Uh, we're off the back of Endgame, which yeah. you know wrapped up ten years of filmmaking and uh, gave us everything we have now, um, leading into all the Disney Plus shows. And where we are now with Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, and again, if you haven't seen these films, sorry, we're getting into it. Uh, you've had your chance. You've, you've, you've had your chance at this point. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and our upcoming uh, MCU uh, Disney Plus shows, or the ones that are currently present, Moon Knight, uh, Miss Marvel, uh, She-Hulk, and um, Season 2 of the ones that we've gotten previously. And mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about this topic today... Um, while I was working, and I, I had to ask myself, I don't really know where... Uh, do I really know where the MCU is going? Uh, and I didn't really have an answer. Do I like what we're getting? Absolutely. But the vision, as it stands, does not seem as clear as it did when we were in our original Iron Man trilogy phase, when we were in our original Captain America phase. We knew that somewhere down the line... Thanos was coming, and we were going to have to deal with that whole situation. Where where do we stand now? Uh, I I don't know. You know, it's funny because I think that Disney is treating uh, the post Endgame Marvel the same way that they're treating the post uh, Skywalker saga Star Wars. It's very interesting to see the correlation between the two franchises. Um, I think with both sides, we don't really know what's being led up to in Star Wars's case. You know, there is a timeline to be had. Everything is just in flux. I think we are going to be getting to that point with Marvel now where it just exists, man. There's, there are going to be, like, gigantic movies to the scale of Avengers and Endscape, uh, Endgame uh, going forward. Uh, I don't think we'll be seeing that until the far, far future. Uh, maybe I'm talking about, like, more than three years from now. Um I think right now we're kind of like resetting in a way. We're going back to the Iron Man trilogy. We're introducing these new situations, these new characters, and we're trying to build a world around those characters that make sense for for the characters and for also the audience. Um, right now, I think we have been getting banger after banger after banger in terms of Marvel property. Like, uh, if Geeks and Goblins was around last year, I could say that at least my personal Geeks and Goblins movie of the year for 2021 would have been No Way Home. I think Easy. it was right up with the Batman, uh, you know? Um, right, right. So, the movies have been fantastic so far. Uh, the shows have been uh, good at the least, amazing at the best. Um I think we're going to get a little bit more into that uh, going forward. Um, I don't know, man. I think you're right. It's kind of hard to see what the vision is right now. But knowing them, uh, they are not Warner Brothers. They do have a plan for this. And it's going to be interesting to see it kind of like unravel. And, you know, uh, before we get into it, I I don't want the perception to be that I believe, oh, they need to have a Thanos. Oh, who's the next big bad? Da-da-da-da-da. Like... I, I think I, I think I want to see some more big bads. I want to see your Doctor Dooms, your Kang the Conquerors, your Annihilus, if you're familiar with the characters. Um, I want to see that. Uh, but I don't think it's a requirement. Um, I don't think at the end of the day, this even needs to be going anywhere. 
I think we're suffering right. from um, I think we're suffering from a lot of production delay and a lot of stuff with COVID. Uh, for those who don't know, we've gotten a lot of these things out of sequence. Um, Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness, was supposed to happen before Spider-Man No Way Home. The character of America Chavez, and this has just really been confirmed today, honestly, uh, this portion that I'm about to say here, America Chavez was kind of supposed to take the Ned role in No Way Home. So that should give you, if you're aware of any uh, reboots, uh, not reboots, I'm part, uh, I apologize, uh, reshoots, that should give you a little bit more insight, and that was insightful to me. She was supposed to take kind of a um, like Sorcerer's Apprentice kind of role, and uh, she would be the one that brings in um, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man into that universe, um, come to find out. Uh, we've gotten some released concept art as well as testimony about that. So it is important to keep in mind with the, the slate that we have now that it's all out of sequence. Uh, even WandaVision, the very last sequence of WandaVision, uh, was theorized and is looking to be true, uh, we won't know until the movie comes out, that the final scene was supposed to feature Doctor Strange flying in to that field that she's at. Because if you compare that scene with the trailers that we received from Multiverse of Madness, they are in the same space. They're in the mm -hmm. same field. So there's, there's a lot of interesting things there to say that we're not seeing things the way that we were supposed to. Yeah, I, I think that kind of makes it a little bit more confusing uh, for the audience side of things. You know, it makes it harder to see where they're leading. Um, I don't know. That's kind of interesting. I had no idea that America Chavez was supposed to be in No Way Home. Uh, that's actually very interesting yeah, um, um, and has a lot of different implications. How familiar are you with the character if, um, uh, going forward? Not uh, not not much to be honest. Not actually, not at all. Really, okay, to be, uh, so to just to give you some honest. clarity on that um, on that revelation, I guess you could say, um, she can open portals to different multiverses. <laughs> so oh um, crap, yes. So uh, you actually see her do it in the Multiverse of Madness trailer, where um, it's the first trailer where she's kind of like strung up, and there's that demon-looking creature that's yelling at her. Um, she she has a star portal behind her, so when she travels to different verses, she opens the, these star portals. So that that's kind of her whole deal. Um, but yeah, you know that's that's an important thing to to talk about when you know you you say like, oh, this movie was actually supposed to happen before this movie. Like, what really is the impact of that? Right. I don't know. I think it, it just makes everything a little bit more muddy in terms of like trying to track the the red line, you know, trying to uh, see where they're going. Um, I think we're going to be getting a little bit more clarification as uh, the new shows come out. Um, I think even the Moon Knight, uh, the first two episodes, have kind of like given us a sense of what the tone overall for the MCU is going to be. Yep. Um, even though there hasn't really been much in terms of a connection to the grander MCU, uh, there's been a little bit of a couple hints there, you know? And uh, it, it's going to be interesting because they have a lot of new characters that they have to introduce. They still have to introduce the Fantastic Four, uh, Doctor Doom, uh, X-Men. Uh, they have oh. a lot to play with, though. And I, it's, it's interesting because I think... It can be setting up something that might be even bigger than the first 10 years of the MCU. Ooh, um, 
theory time. What do you think that bigger is, or do you just uh, do you just hope that um, that it is bigger than the Infinity Saga? It's it's a it's a little bit of a hope, but it's also all the characters that they have to introduce. You know, like a lot of fan favorites as well. It's like Wolverine. Doctor Doom is one of the favorite villains of all time, just across any medium. Um, it feels like they have so much more to work with this time around than they did for the first 10 years of the MCU. It feels like there's so many different threads that they can pull on um, that it's going to feel like almost more surprising than it was, uh, even though we had had a lot of surprises in the first 10 years. It just it seems like this new Marvel that we have, especially with incorporating Fantastic Four and X-Men and all these different uh, characters... It, I don't know. There's so much more that they can do. At least that's just the feeling that I get. No, I agree with you 100%. I, I think we're seeing a Marvel that realizes they can do whatever they want now. <laughs> like they are a they are a proven success. You know that the, that first ten years, you kind of gotta you kind of gotta tread lightly, right? You gotta see what works. Right. You you've got to you you have to create a formula. You have to you have to do two or three films and say, okay, this is what the people like. This is what was received well. This is what we're going to keep doing. And I think that's why we got a lot of that. Some people would call it the Marvel formula. Um, some people yeah. definitely feel like, and it is true. I, As the MCU fan, I, I 100% agree. Marvel movies are kind of the same way. You know, you've, you've got your Marvel humor. You've got your Marvel action. You know, they... There's a formula there. Whether or not that's a bad thing, it, it, I don't think that's really up to me to say. I'm loving what I'm getting, and clearly everybody else is too. Um, whether or not that, you know, kind of, um, I don't want to say bastardizes, but whether or not that kind of bastardizes the property is a whole separate conversation. But it works. Um, but we're looking at a Marvel that now says, okay, the formula's worked. We've got all these people in our pocket, you know. We can now take some of these more obscure characters and and give them to people and really see what sticks and see what builds uh based off of your previous yeah. comment i'll tell you the two things that i'm looking forward to the most three things actually um i'll be brief i don't want to like take all of it up but just to give you the three touch points and i want to hear what you have to say about them one young avengers the disney plus shows have done a done in my opinion done nothing but set up the young avengers Every single one that we've gotten, for the most part, has introduced us to a, every single member of the existing Young Avengers in the comics. Uh, two, we're going the supernatural route. There is so many horror elements in most of the things that we've seen now. Multiverse of Madness. It's, it's directed by damn Sam Raimi, for God's sake, yeah. um, whose bread and butter is horror. He comes from that space. Um, and, of course, Moon Knight has some pretty heavy horror elements. Um, and then... Uh, Thirdly, we are bringing in gods, man. Like, not, you know, how the Asgardians are actually aliens. Um, we're bringing in gods. We have we have Egyptian gods in the damn MCU right now. Khonshu is here. Right. He, he lives and breathes. And with rumors going that since Henry Cavill is more or less out as Superman and has had meetings with uh, with Marvel, with Disney, the rumor mill is spinning right now that we are going to see Henry Cavill as Hercules. And that would be Ooh. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. As a matter of fact, just to riff off of that, we already know that Russell Crowe is going to be in Thor Love and Thunder as Zeus. He has said it himself. 
So, I, I, I'm going to let take all of that and run with it. I want to hear what you have to say. So, we have had a, a established formula for the movies, but I think that also plays a role in the writers and the heads of the movies that we've had. Uh, a lot of the first 10 years of Marvel was the Russo brothers. Yeah. And I think now, with the way that everything is kind of just expanding and, like, I guess moving forward, we are going to start seeing a little bit more of a, of a more of a diversity in the formula that they use per character, per movie, per show. Sam Raimi, like you mentioned, has that horror element. That being said, Miss Marvel is not going to be a horror show. It's probably going to be very lighthearted, very uh, comedic. You know, Moon Knight has had its own direction, something that I haven't really seen before in the MCU, especially with the way that they're treating uh, the main villain. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, We are starting to see a little bit of a weirder side of Marvel, and I'm digging it. Like, WandaVision, like, what the hell? We saw the first episode, like, what is this going to be? We have no idea. This is nothing like what we've seen before. And I think... That's why I'm more excited about the future of Marvel, and that's why I think this new Marvel Cinematic Universe can be better than what it was in the past. It's learned from all that. It's taking all that, and it's growing from it. And that's basically what we're seeing, just growth. Uh, To touch on what you mentioned, um, I'm going to be completely honest again. um, I know that this whole episode has just been been me disappointing you. (laughs) I'm not very familiar with the Young Avengers. Um... That being said, I agree with everything else that you mentioned. The horror element, uh, the gods part of it, Henry Cavill as Hercules is perfect casting. Like, come on. That's just like, it's writing itself. Russell Crowe as Zeus. That's also perfect freaking casting. Like, I don't know, man. This is all pretty freaking cool. I, I, I'm telling you, the level of excitement I have. Of course, I, I grew up excited about the MCU. I'm, I'm even more excited. Um, and I, I think it's important to actually touch on... Uh, specifically, you, it's interesting you brought up Miss Marvel and how it's uh, rated PG. Uh, it, it, it does lead me to want to say this, since we are talking about the state of the MCU. Uh, I did want to talk about the supernatural elements, but I do think it's also important to talk about this. Um, there's been a lot of... I feel like there's been a lot of... Um, I don't want to call it gatekeeping, but there's been a lot of uh, unnecessary things surrounding the MCU. And I think one of the things we should talk about is... I feel like we forget these properties are for children. Um, I I feel like we forget that. We grew up with it, you know? So, I mean, of course, we we hold it close. We want to love it. We want things the way we imagine it. And um, I I feel like people forget that, one, these things were made for children. Like, especially during its its height, during its big height, these comic books, you know, there was a whole push to make sure that they stayed for children, you know? Like, the Joker wasn't the Joker. We we had a lot of characters that weren't nearly as violent, and I don't want to say that it was more sl- slapstick, but it was definitely, you know, it, 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 was, it was a lot nicer. But, you know, those things changed. And with that, the stories also got more serious. So, I feel like, if we're talking about the state of the MCU, we do have to talk about its reception. And I've noticed a lot online that there is a lot of distaste for the fact that Miss Marvel is going to be PG. Uh, not PG-13 or TV-14, I guess you could say, in that uh, realm. But, who? so what? She's not yeah. She's not a character for adults. Like, it, it, we yeah. can talk about Batman and all that other stuff 
every day of the week, but we're, we're talking about Miss Marvel here. Like it's, yeah. she's, she's literally in high school. She's not even a senior or a junior. She's like a sophomore in high school. That is okay. Rep, that yeah. type of representation is okay. And something else that I feel like people forget. And I, I understand that a lot of the majority of MCU fans also don't really come from a place in the comics in regards to say even Moon Knight's uh, DID and Miss Marvel uh, her um, her heritage and Captain America being black now these are things that were done in the comics this this isn't new people are acting like representation being in, brought into the MCU is this new thing that Disney is doing because they want to appeal to a certain audience. Do I agree that it's a little heavy-handed at times? Absolutely. But is it new? Hell no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, just so y'all know, you can Google Captain America and you will find Black Captain America, you know? Uh, I, I, I hate to think that they're going to gloss over a lot of Miss Marvel's actual um, actual history is, you know, going to be erased from the show. But the implications of her heritage and the color of her skin and her gender are so important and integral to her to her character and who she is as a hero and how she became a hero. You know, it's these aren't new things. And I feel like we as fans get so caught up, not all of us, but get so caught up in what we want out of these things that we forgot that a lot of the things that we get have existed for quite some time. Captain America been back for about a decade. <laughs> like, like I, I'm actually not sure if he's... He teeters now back and forth between being um, Captain America and the Falcon now, but... There was this stint where he was, you know, he, where, I always forget the actor, not the actor, the character's name, I, I don't know why, but there was, there was a period in time where that particular character was Captain America for quite some time, and he went through all the problems you would think a black Captain America would go through, and it right. made for really good, it made for really good reading, these are really good books, so, I just, I just wanted to say that, because it's, you go on TikTok, you go on social media, you see all over the place that, um, you know, there's this hate for the wokeness that is Marvel, but it's it's been there. It's just now making its way to TV. Yeah, you're completely right. And I feel like a lot of that wokeness does come from some nefarious places um, like misogyny, like racism. Not all of it. Some of it is valid complaints, but I do feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of that conversation does get co-opted by those groups. But at the end of the day, the fact that Miss Marvel is rated PG honestly makes you pretty happy it yeah. means that they're going to be doing that character justice you know what i'm saying i i think it's it's really cool that we're getting this diversity uh now being shown in the mcu but like you said it's been done for a while and a lot of people are going to be pretending like it's being done now because of whatever geopolitical issue you want to talk about it's 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 weird but that's also just the state of everything right yeah. now everyone is divided everyone is just trying to shit on things drag things down especially popular things like the marvel cinematic universe yeah yeah it's a shame but you know i'm here to enjoy good media and it brings yeah. a smile to my face it makes me happy it makes a lot of people happy and i said this to a co-worker earlier it brings people together um right for all the hate oh, yeah. that a lot of the stuff gets i've had more positive conversations about it than i've had negative conversations about it and that's what i want so, and I, and I hope we continue to get that, man. 
Yeah, I agree. The the commu- community aspect of of these fan bases, uh, they're very understated. I think uh, it, it's it, it's the birth of a lot of friendships. You know, it's it honestly really is, and it's it, it is a beautiful thing, um, and it's something that should be celebrated. Um, but you know, there's always miserable people out there that just want to drag down everything instead That's of just letting people enjoy. You know, That's and a uh, fact. you know. Part of the utopian revolution here is, you know, spreading that positivity, spreading that kindness. So as long as you guys are watching Geeks and Goblins, we'll be talking about things in a positive aspect, unless it's Morbius. Unless it's Morbius. God, we we do not talk about... We we do, to remind people to not give Sony your money. Do not stop giving Sony your superhero money. They have not given us anything good. And I Oh, you have no idea how triggered I just got just now. And we've been joking about Morbius <laughs> for two weeks now. Like, oh my god, guys, stop giving Jared Leto thriller. your money. He has the worst MCU. He has the worst Marvel movie and the worst DC movie. This is yeah. not your guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is not true. your guy. That is true. But he's kick ass in Blade Runner. I'll give him that. Just he was in the movie for five minutes. Heroes. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I love Blade Runner. I, I actually really love Blade Runner twenty forty. I love that movie, <laughs> dude. Hell yeah, we need to have a watch party soon for that. Like we can I, do. It. I miss Blade Runner. It's been a while since I've watched it, but but yeah, that's we're getting off topic here. Uh, going back to uh, just the MCU. Um, our next topic, uh, if you're ready to talk about that, is uh, the Moon Knight episode two review. I'm always ready to talk about Moon Knight, man. Uh, for for those, uh, again, I we said it when we started this last week, this is spoiler territory. So if you have been watching Moon Knight, but you have not watched episode two, uh, close your eyes, go to another stream, mute the stream so we can still get the view, do what you gotta do, but this ain't the place you wanna be. Let's go ahead and jump in to kind of a synopsis of what happened. Uh, we, we picked up from episode one with... Um, <laughs> Mark waking up in his bed, pardon, uh, Stephen waking up in his bed, not really re- remembering what happened last night, but, uh, you know, still picking up on the whole fever dream of it all. So um, he heads back to work, sees that the, the bathroom has been all beat up, and then he gets fired because they look at the security footage and realize it's him. And uh, for the rest of the episode, we, we kind of see him kind of start to spiral out a little bit. Yeah, he's uh, essentially just trying, he's having a basically a crisis, not knowing uh, about, like, not knowing if the things from the first episode actually happened or if it's all going in his head. And considering he's struggling with DID, it, it, it sounds and it feels like something that could just drive somebody to the brink of madness, if not all the way there. And uh, throughout the first portion of this episode, we start kind of seeing a little bit of that. We start seeing Steven, like you said, just question everything, uh, not just not knowing who he is, what he's doing, not knowing if all this is actually happening. And it, it's cool because it did seem like they did kind of like give him a bone throughout the episode, as in like he started becoming a little bit more confident that he's not going crazy, that this is actually happening, something that is real. Um, and it's only kind of exacerbated by the end, you know? Um, essentially, uh, the main villain, I forget his name. Haro, um, Haro, 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 Ethan Hawk. <laughs> Ethan Hawk, Mr. Ethan Hawk. Uh, still an enigma, by the way. Uh, we don't know uh, what direction they're going to be taking that character. 
but near the end of the episode, we essentially uh, see an entire uh, standoff between... Uh, it's funny. We see a standoff between Steven, Mark, the Moon Knight, and Ethan Hawke. And honestly, it was a really cool episode, man. It was, it was. Uh, just to run it back a little bit, I've got to give... I, I, I continuously, and I feel like I'm going to have to do this for the next four episodes... I'm just going to have to keep giving praise to Oscar Isaac. Uh, his characterization, and I'm really just talking about Steven, really, right now. Uh, we can get into, we'll get into Mark later. But his characterization of Steven Grant uh, has really just been a treat. He, it, it takes a lot for an actor to uh, convey, you know, the, the feeling of, you know, everything falling apart and make you actually resonate with that character you know we've gotten characters like that in other media before where their lives are falling apart and i'm just kind of like all right when do we get into the action uh i'm not gonna sit here and say like i'd watch just that for four more episodes but he has put so much into that character and i hate how wasted he was in the x-men apocalypse but man like if they gave him the reins to really run with it the way he's running with stephen grant they're just like in the first episode, there in that opening segment uh, leading up to his meeting Ly- uh, Layla, Lila, Layla. Um, yeah. Just you feel you you know like this guy is really going through it, and you, you that resonates. You actually feel that. Oh yeah, especially when like he when Steven starts to get to know Layla, he's you can kind of like just see it on Oscar Isaac's face. The character is falling in love with his wife all over again. Yeah. And it's it's something that you really can't see in many different like movies or shows or even video games, any medium really. Just the reintroduction of someone important to you in your life. And I think he nailed that perfectly. And when Mark was just talk to him and telling him like, hey, listen, you can't be saying anything. This is for Layla. Steven immediately doing that to protect Layla and praise praise to Oscar Isaac man absolutely that guy he deserves some sort of award for this show so far and we've only seen two episodes absolutely absolutely uh now uh also we are officially officially introduced to uh the character Layla his wife well Mark's wife or well still his wife uh we're officially introduced to this character uh i i I like her presence so far i remember Mm -hmm. reading some early reviews uh from you know the influencers that got to see the first six uh, part and four episodes and a lot of them akin to their relationship and the vibe from that point going forward uh very much to the mummy uh franchise how he kind of had that relationship between um i I always forget his character's name as well brendan frazier's brendan frazier's character um, and Evie, the two main characters of the Mummy franchise. And I can definitely pick up on that vibe there. And what's more interesting to me is that kind of switch. Um, again, later on in that episode, after they're introduced and they have their little spat, and he gets taken to Haro's uh, lair, so to speak, um, the, the interesting switch in dynamic there, especially if we're talking about the relation to the Mummy franchise, is how she kind of takes that all right, we're, we're getting our way out of the situation. We're going to rush out of here and like, we're going to fight and we're going to kick and we're going to do what we got to do to get out of here. And he's just kind of like the bumbling around, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I love seeing <laughs> that switch. Um, I, I love seeing that switch. And I think she's a really interesting character. I think she's portrayed well. And I want to see what's going to happen with her going forward. 
yeah. Firstly, I want to say shout out to those mummy movies. Completely underrated. So underrated. Amazing movies. And I don't, I don't even say that in a nostalgic type of way. Freaking great movies. Brendan Fraser needs to be back in Hollywood. Full fa- Bring him to the freaking MCU, man. Just do it. Um, <laughs> that being said, man, it, yeah, I completely agree. That entire third act during that lair sequence, it was just... It was interesting to see the dynamics of it all. It was seeing kind of Steven put his foot down, trying to be that moral compass for Mark and for the Moon Knight, trying to stand up to Kanchu the way that he did. Layla's character just basically taking the initiative, trying to get them out of there. The entire thing, the entire third act of this episode, in my opinion, is the best act that we've seen so far of, of Moon Knight. And I'm excited to see where it goes going forward. But the action, the comedy, seeing the interactions between the characters, it, it all was handled just perfectly. Perfectly. I agree. I agree. And uh, before we get fully into the third act, uh, let, let's touch on that kind of middle area. Let's talk about the second act a little bit. Because this um, this episode is the first time we actually really get to get to know Mark, uh, Mark Spector. Uh, we see a lot more of Kanshu, and we also get a lot more of Haro, who uh, admittedly, I'm, I'm going to start there. Haro was a little bit of a disappointment for me as far as his characterization here. Um, I, I do think he's interesting because I want to see what his further motivations are. But this isn't the first time we've seen your cult leader um, villain, you know? The general perception by his cult followers, you know, the good guy, he's actually trying to do good for the world, he's trying to bring justice and peace, and like, oh, we have this little cute thing where I encourage everybody to learn three languages, and I'm gonna talk to the girl in Mandarin, and oh, try my lentil soup, like, uh, we've seen it, you know, so I was hoping, and don't get me wrong, I think Ethan Hawke is doing a fantastic job, but I was hoping to see a little bit more from him. But with that said, the 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 great surprise there was that he was also uh, one of Khonshu's avatars. He himself was the Moon Knight. And that is a twist that I didn't see coming at all. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I know nothing about any of these characters. So, of course, I did not see that coming. <laughs> but I think it was uh, definitely an interesting twist to be throwing out there, especially so early on. Uh, something like this, uh, like something like that is usually revealed towards uh, the third act of a story. So yeah. to have it in the second episode was pretty cool. Um, that also makes me think that there's more to Haro that we haven't seen yet, which gets me really excited because... Uh, as of right now, it has been that cookie-cutter cult leader, uh, like you said. Um, very empathetic, very charming, trying to disarm you with uh, with kindness, whether it's fake or not, is still uh, to be seen. Um, but yeah, that entire second act also, just building up the relationship between Steven and Haro, Mark and Haro, Kanchu and Haro, it gave us a lot more context that was missing so far. Absolutely, and uh, uh, I, I think I think it's important now to like talk about Kanshu a little bit. I am like so grateful that he's a dick. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. if you're if you're familiar with the character in the comics, he's a dick. He he is not your benevolent god who is yes, come to me, my children. I shall bless you all with wine and water and and fish and bread, and we will walk happily into the promise. No, he's a dick. It's more like, hey, 
here's a piece of fish. Um, you might get lucky. It's still a little cold. Um, the bread's a little stale, and the wine, uh, it's been out for a couple of days. But, uh, yeah, come on through. Uh, also, fuck you. But, like, that is, <laughs> that is literally Khonshu as a character. Um, so it's nice that they're they're keeping that. Like, he's sitting there behind Haro while he's talking to Steven, like, break his windpipe. Like, I, like, I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, what? That's hilarious. <laughs> like, I was like, what is he doing? It's so great. It's so dope. And um, I, I, I love the way how he just lurks in the shadows, just watching yep. everything play out. Um, I do find it interesting, though, that his influence is is is, is so minimal in, in the sense that even Haro says, like, when the wind starts blowing, he's like, don't worry, he can't hurt you. That's literally the most he can do here. I want to know if there's something specific that's happened with the Egyptian gods, the pantheon of Egyptian gods, that makes it so that his influence is so light. And uh, why he does need an avatar to uh, impose his will. It's funny because I had the the opposite reaction. Physically, yes, Kanchu doesn't have much of a interaction or influence on what's going on in the scenes. But he he's at the center of it all. Like any conversation that's being had is about Kanchu and what he's trying to do. So it it is interesting to see how he's not necessarily physically in the scene, but he's still kind of haunting there. Even in those scenes where he wasn't even speaking or even referred to, they, you can always get the sense that Kanshu was there, you know, and I thought that was pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, with that said, uh, moving on to the third act of the show, of course, you know, Steven finally starts asking some questions. He's like, hey, um, what's up with this whole justice thing? Like, how can you judge people before they they do bad? Like, are we down for killing babies? Is that what we're doing? Like, I'm, I'm not down for killing babies, man. <laughs> like, he asked the important questions, and, you know... It's funny, and, and I it was on the second watch that I, I really started watching Haro in that moment, the switch, the immediate, like, facial switch when he starts really asking the real questions. I, I'm not sure if Haro either knows or if he gives a damn about, you know, like, are we, are we talking about killing babies? Like, I don't know if he really knows his, his position on this, you know? I... I just, I don't really know where he's going as a villain just yet. Yeah, it's, I think they've left the, the door open for a lot of different avenues that they can take. Um, but, I don't know, that that switch that you were talking about, it did seem like he was just going to be this very menacing villain, villain from here on out that is strictly, you go by what I say or you fucking die. Yep. And I think that's kind of what they're setting up. And it, it was interesting to see Steven kind of like become more courageous than we've seen him being, at least so far. Um, not only the way that he was asking those questions to Haro and his group, but also the way that he stood up to Mark. And Agreed. also to Layla and also to Ganshu. It, it was character development that I did not expect to see so early on. And it just... Kind of brings me to this like they have been subverting my expectations of course i don't know the characters but 
in terms of filmmaking wise and show making wise, they've been surprising me with their pacing and how quick they're doing this. And I know we have a couple more episodes to go, so I'm interested to see what it's going to lead up to. And I have a feeling it's going to end up being like another Hawkeye situation where by episode three, episode four, we're going to be seeing a lot more ties to the greater MCU as a whole. I hope so. I, uh, I, uh, without getting too far into it, uh, we can save that towards the very end of the segment. I, I really do think this is leading towards the gods. But um, yeah. following into the third act, as we get closer towards the end of the episode, we, uh, we do see uh, Haro release a little bit more of his power than we've seen before. We know he has the ability to um, pass judgment onto people, and from that either give them freedom or give them death. But for the first time, we see him fully release uh, one of the jackals with what he calls a sliver of Amit's power. Um, and this leads us into our appearance of Mr. Knight, who um, a lot of fans are upset about. <laughs> a lot oh, of fans man. are upset about. I, I, don't, I really don't know the context around uh, Mr. Knight, but... The, what what little we did see in the show, I thought that was fantastic. I think it provided a great comedic relief for that moment of the episode. And I think it did kind of, it felt very natural. I don't know. It, I don't know what there is to be mad about. But of course, you know, you would know more about that than I would. So um, with that said, before I get into it, uh, and I, I'll be brief, love what they did in the show. I am not one of those people. Um and I'm hoping there's more Mr. Knight. But ideally, um, as I said before, uh, Mark, Steven, Moon Knight, Mr. Knight, um, another character who may or may not be introduced, they are all separate identities. Uh, they are all separate identities. Whereas in the show, they're kind of blending Mark and Moon Knight. Uh, he needs to be Mark to be Moon Knight. And it looks like the way they're doing it here, just because, you know, they kept telling him he had a suit, Steven and Mr. Knight are kind of intertwined here. So, um, essentially in the comics, Mr. Knight uh, is another personality who um, is the guardian of nighttime travelers, as he likes to call himself. He is also the persona that he puts on when he not needs to talk to the police, you know, something a little bit more inviting than, um, than Moon Knight. And that's the short of it. There's long, but that's the short. Um, I liked what we got here. I thought it was, I thought it was entertaining. I, I thought it was okay. Uh, you know, put the suit on, put the suit on. What suit? Put the suit on, put the suit on. Fine, I need a suit. And then boom, uh, best superhero landing I think we've gotten in a MCU show of all time. Yeah. Just the flop over like a fish. <laughs> um, you know, your description of Mr. Knight, especially when you were talking about him being a little bit more lighthearted, especially to uh, speak with the police. Um, it just in my head, it kind of just clicked that Ryan Ryan Reynolds' uh, Deadpool is now part of the MCU, and I realized how much I need a Oscar Isaac Mister Knight meeting Ryan Reynolds Deadpool. <laughs> that like, would be absolutely would be, astounding. That's the pinnacle of the MCU if it happens, at least for me. <laughs> no, that would be absolutely astounding. I'm all the way here for it. Uh, moving things right. along, as we're getting uh, closer to our time here a little bit. Uh, as, you know, Mr. Knight kind of, you know, tries to get his little, his, his steps in. Uh, you know, you stepped into the wrong ends, mate. Um, one of my favorite lines from that whole episode. That whole sequence was amazing. But um, he finally <laughs> gets to a point where he realizes, you know, if he does not let Mark take control, people can and will get hurt in this situation. And um, we finally see him giving Mark Spector the reins and Moon Knight, I'm, uh, pardon, Mr. Knight transitioning into Moon Knight. And 
I, I got to admit, personally, I, I, I wanted more from that sequence. Um, but um, I did love what we got, but I just... I, for me, with Moon Knight, I get a, a darker sense of what I want from a character. And admittedly, with the character that is specifically Moon Knight, I haven't gotten that yet. It still all feels a little too light. I, I want them to dig their claws deep into the darkness that this character really is. And I think they're going the right direction, right. but now I, I want them to step it up. It's. I think. I think you're completely right. I think so far anything that we've seen in the show that has been dark has been attributed to Mark, Mark Spector, not to Moon Knight. And I think going forward, we do need to see a little bit more of that intimidating side of Moon Knight, aside from like the uh, the ending shot of Episode One where he kind of just turns around. And he looks like a fucking yep. badass. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. Um. I think they have kind of shown that they're not really uh, hesitant to make it dark when it has to be dark. So it gives me hope that they're going to show that off in full glory at the right moment. Uh, maybe they're holding off for an even bigger encounter or an even uh, more emotional moment or anything like that. Just to drive that darkness home, you know? Hopefully, hopefully. Um, I... The... Yeah, <laughs> like hopefully, uh, I think you actually hit the nail on the head there. You pretty much said what I was gonna say, but um, uh, that leads us towards the end of the episode. Um, after their fight with the jackal, uh, we transition. Uh, Moon Knight transitions back directly into Mark. He is um, taken over as the dominant persona uh, right now, um, uh, embodying uh, the body that is them both. And um, he has no interest in letting Steven back in right now. He has a mission. He uh, he has a contract with Khonshu that says, you've got to do these last few things for me. Um, otherwise, you know, I'm going to take over Layla as the next as my next avatar. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, which is also a switch from the comics. Um, him just willy-nilly choosing new avatars. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a little bit different. But, you know, we now see, we now understand what you know, he's been moonlighting doing, you know, doing these jobs for Khonshu or uh, imposing his uh, judgment onto the world. And he's also been trying to keep uh, primarily Layla safe from having to, you know, live this life. And I think we see another powerful moment where he and Steven go back and forth, you know, over, you know, let me have my body back. Like, this is not what I signed up for. Like, give me back what I want and you know we see Mark lose it and basically say no like not until I'm done yeah I think I think that was the second most powerful scene of the show so far behind only uh the scene of where uh Steven was in the steak uh the steakhouse yeah. the steakhouse the restaurant um and it's it's Man, poor guy. I mean, even Mark Spector is having mental health issues. Like, yeah. holy crap. Like, that guy needs some help, like, all around. Um, it, it was an interesting... It was interesting to see how, that his relationship with Khonshu isn't necessarily what I had expected to uh, from the first episode. I thought that Mark was essentially, like, agreeing with everything that Khonshu was doing. But it seems like it's a lot more complicated than just that. And adding the whole Layla as an avatar business to it, it, I'm, it, it sets up 
a really interesting back half of this show of the of this first season and so far man i think i think i can definitively say considering this is a review i can def- no i'm gonna have to wait at least for a couple more episodes but i want to say the way it's shaping up right now moon knight might be the best disney plus show to have come out and i say this as a huge star wars fan as a huge mandalorian fan Bad Batch fan, a little bit of a Book of Boba Fett fan. Uh, sorry, I meant Mandalorian season two point five. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think Moon Knight looks freaking great so far. The first two episodes have been bangers. Um, this episode, I don't know if we did this for the first episode, but uh, this episode I would give a good four uh, out of five geeks. Uh, we did do this for the first episode. You gave it four and a half geeks. Um, okay. Out of five geeks. Uh, this particular episode, I'm also going to give four uh, goblins out of five goblins. Uh, it, it hit a couple of notes for me. It took a couple of things away. Um, but altogether, I still think this is shaping up to be a really, really good show. I'm super excited for the next four episodes. I, I, I just don't know where they go. This episode left off um, with, I'm not sure is a flashback or a you know little bit of a time skip to him in egypt um i i I don't know whether we're looking at a flashback or not but um that is that looks like where we're going to pick up on the next episode um small theory i don't think it's given enough room just yet for any full-blown theories i think we might be there after episode three but um i'm still in the camp that harrow ends up becoming dracula um just based off the strength that we saw him suck the life out of somebody without judging them this episode, which yeah. has been his shtick. He will, you know, use his little cane, do his judgment, and then whether you're good or evil, he sucks the life out of you. And in this particular episode, towards the end, uh, when he recovers the scarab, he just kills the guy. So yeah. we're seeing a different side of him. Like, what is he actually after? Um, and that's really my only theory, that he's going to end up uh, being Dracula and we're not going to see the end of Ethan Hawke. He's a he's a high profile actor, very very high profile actor. Maybe, maybe just maybe he'll end up being Morbius. Thank you guys for tuning in to Geeks and Goblins, man. It's been a fantastic show. I'm sorry you had to hear such blasphemous bullshit from my uh, from my coworker here, uh, my my co-host. My buddy, my pal, Utopian Revolt, uh, who likes to talk about these terrible, terrible things. How dare you uh, besmirch the name of Ethan Hawke with, with Morbius, the living oh, vampire. Man. How dare you, sir? I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm saddened. I'm angry. Uh, shame. Shame on you. Shame, yeah. shame, shame. Shame. I'll take it. I'll take it with pride with pride i'm i'm sure you will if, if you guys didn't catch it uh we both gave uh four geeks and four goblins respectively to episode two of moon knight uh and with that uh we are at the very end of our show uh utopian revolt alex tell the people uh where they can find you outside of this lovely little uh, get together we have here every saturday all right. Well, you can find me at, at Utopian Revolt, spelled the same exact way uh, on Twitter. Um, and a little announcement, kind of exciting. Um, I'm going to be streaming on my own for the first time on Wednesday, this hey. Wednesday. Um, I don't know what I'm going to be streaming yet, 
I have uh, yet to decide what that will be. I'm open to suggestions, so more than welcome to uh, tweet at me directly or to post it on the, the Goblin Gang Discord. Um, I, I need some suggestions, so please throw them out there. Uh, but yeah, Wednesday you can catch me uh, on Twitch. I'll go ahead and post um, the actual link on my Twitter and also on the Discord. All right, man. Like, that's super fucking exciting. This is the moment that I've been waiting for. This is the moment I'm sure a lot of people have been waiting for. Y'all, go find him on Twitch right now. Go type his name in the chat. Do what you got to do. Go follow this man. All right? We need his first official Twitch stream to be Liddy City. I'm talking about we need everybody. <laughs> this man has this needs to be an anomaly. People need to jump on. The people at Twitch need to log on to look at the analytics for the day and be like, who the fuck is that guy? Like, that's what we need, all right? We're coming through with the whole gang, the whole Goblin gang, the whole squad. Tell your kids, tell your wives, tell your husbands. We going over to Utopian Revolt. Uh, and if you're over here at Goblin Gaming while he is streaming, you best believe I'm pressing the buttons on the stream deck and we're going right over there. So don't even think you're getting away from it because it's not happening. It's, it's just not happening. I want y'all to bless this man with love. All right. We fast tracking this man to affiliate. With that said, you can find me over here on OG Goblin Gaming every Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. And you can find me on Twitch at OG Goblin Games. Pardon, Twitter at OG Goblin Gangs. Come and follow games, not gangs. OG Goblin Games, come and follow your boy. Um, the social media be popping, the social media be lit. Thank you all again for tuning in to Geeks and Goblins. Um, co completely forgot to mention this. Uh, we this is kind of like our, our one month anniversary kind of really we this is oh, our crap. in a way like we haven't uh we've been doing this for a solid like month now what like so big milestone man that's like, crazy to me holy crap that went by so quick yeah right like it just occurred to me while we were streaming like halfway through i was like holy shit this is this is technically show number five on average three or four saturdays a week here we are like so i was not a week Let's a month going. But, yeah like, we're going to keep it going, man. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Anything else you want to say to the people before I sign off? Um, Hey, listen, don't be miserable. Don't be negative. There's too much of that bullshit in life. You know, stay, stay positive. Be kind. It, it is a challenge to be kind, but it is a challenge worth overcoming. And uh, little by little, we're going to be making the world a better place. And, and that is the utopian revolution. Hell yeah. There we go. I like it. As I like to stay, as I like to say, y'all be easy, you stay peace, and we will see you all on the next one. Thank you for tuning in. Peace out, people.